we start our series on <clears throat> the generations, we were fortunate to have Lillian St. John and Catherine Seitz, a GI generation, a millennial generation rep, read for us. Thank you for sharing that. If y'all didn't notice, one read from paper, one read from her phone. We did that on purpose. She said, I was going to read from my phone. I said, perfect, do it, read from your phone. And we continue, our second reading is from Chronicles, First Chronicles, and we're getting the last little piece of King David's life, and he's done all kinds of things, and this is what happens in chapter 22. David said, here shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David gave orders to gather together the aliens who were residing in the land of Israel, and he sent stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for building the house of God. David also provided great stores of iron for nails, for the doors of the gates, and for clamps, as well as bronze in quantities beyond weighing, and cedar logs without number. For the Sidonians and the Tyrians brought great quantities of cedar to David. For David said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced. And the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorified throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. The word of the Lord. Please join me in a prayer. <clears throat> Enlighten us today, O God, as we begin this time together. May we see ourselves in the context of others. May we see you more clearly. Speak to us that which you would have us hear. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> so we're starting this series on the generations, and it's going to be a fun time, I think. At least nine o'clock thought so, so far. So. And part of what you need to know about this is that it's highly informational. So it's at times, probably going to feel as much like a classroom as anything else. A lot of information, uh, maybe more of an informational message than a motivational one, although I do hope that you're motivated to, to take things from this. But informational, and there's a reason why we're doing it. I think it's important that we do this. One of the reasons is we have six generations existing in the church today. Just barely, but six which is, is amazing. I mean, that in and of itself is incredible. And that's a reason to do it, because we, by looking at ourselves, we gain a greater understanding of one another and why we're different. And in so doing, I also believe that we will gain insights in, in, into who God is and that God will reveal some things to us along the way. You might even come out of this thing seeing God a little bit differently, differently, even reading the Bible 
a little differently than you do now. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing, of course, is that there's no way we can learn every single thing about every single generation. That's not, just not possible. I mean, that's, so all we're going to do is we're going to lift up a couple of character traits of each one and kind of work with those and, and, and see what those few things have to say with us. In other words, we're just going to scratch the surface. And each week, the slide will be up to help remind you of kind of where the generations are. We'll highlight each week the ones we are uh, focusing on that day, two today. But you'll see the name and the type of generation and then the year, the birth years for the members of that particular generation. So you can find where you are. You might be surprised where you are. You might have thought you were somewhere else. So that's, uh, you may sit there and say, I'm part of this. I don't care what you say, which is also cool. But that's, that's, uh, that, that's what we're going to do. So, and I hope that as we go through this, we gain uh, understanding of ourselves and a greater understanding of God. So, generations. A lot of what I'm going to share with you is based on the work of two guys, uh, William Strauss and Neil Howe. And they have done more work on generations than just about anybody. They spent their life's work studying this stuff. And they define the length of a generation as equal to one phase of life, or about 22 years, give or take some, you know. And so every 22 years or so, a new generation is born. So one phase of life is a generation. And they also, their bold theory is that there are only four types of generations. Only four types. Idealists, reactive, civic, adaptive. And those types of generations follow a pattern. They go from one to the next. And as you complete the four, that's called a cycle. The cycle, the generational cycle, or turning as they put it, Starts with the idealist generation, then the reactive, then the civic, and then the adaptive, and then it starts all over again. Since the very beginning of our country, since our country began, generational types have followed this same pattern four times now. We are on our fourth turning, so to speak, our fourth cycle, four times, and it is followed to the letter almost, with one exception, and that's the Civil War. So that's, that's a generation type. We're going to look at different types each week. Today we're starting with the civic generation. Now, the civic generation, they tend to come of age, 20s and 30s, during a secular crisis. At least so far, every time they've come of age, it has been during a secular crisis about every 80-ish years or so. And so they come of age during a secular crisis, and they, they have this, this mentality to achieve. They're achievers. We're going to achieve things. We're going to build things. It's almost as if God hardwires that particular generation type with a we-can-do-it mentality. We can do it. We're going to come together and we can do it. That kind of, we're going to build, we're going to innovate, we're going to achieve. And it's, it's a big part of that generation. In fact, one of the best voices, examples of the voice of a civic generation 
is in the character George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. I'm trying to pick movies that hit the time, but we also know. It's not easy. George Bailey, It's a Wonderful Life. We've got a movie clip from, from that movie, and let's take a look at it. I know what I'm going to do tomorrow, and the next day, and next year, and a year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? That's the voice of the civic type generation. I want to build things. I want to see the world. I want to achieve. We're going to come together and we're going to all kinds of things. It just is limitless. You won't believe all the things I want to do. And that's, that's what that generation type does. It's almost, I, I, almost like they're called to do it. I feel if I was to add on, I'd say, I want to build things, Mary. I feel as if God's calling me to do that very thing. Hardwired with a we-can-do-it mentality and mindset. The whole frustration of the movie for him was that he didn't get to do those things, right? He, got, he kept getting stuck in this crummy little old town. And what happens at the end? He realizes what they did achieve together. That they did build things that they accomplished great things with that town because that's the character of that generation type. King David had the same mindset, same one. I have no doubt that King David, if Strauss and Howe are right about this generation type thing, were part of the civic, a civic, that they had a civic mindset. His generation came of age during a secular crisis. The Philistines were the game, the head, headmaster in charge in town. They were the feared enemy, and they were in control, the Philistines, until that little shepherd boy named David threw the famous stone and bested their great warrior Goliath. From that moment on, the presence of the Philistines began to diminish, and the presence of the Israelites began to grow. There's a whole other story about him, all the stuff he went through and ultimately became king. But once he did, the first thing he did when he was king was get after the Philistines. And he conquered the Philistines with God leading him all along the way. Felt as if God was calling him to do it. And then from there on in chapter 18, a couple of chapters before we read, it describes what he did next. He not only conquered the Philistines, he went on with his army, and he conquered all the regions around Jerusalem, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Iranians, the Edomites, just to name a few, there are more, unified the entire region under one banner, under one God, created a great society. I want to build things, Mary. I feel as if God is calling me to do it. One thing he couldn't build, though, the temple. Boy, did he want to build the temple. Actually, that's the only thing he ever really wanted to build. And God told him about midway through his life that he was not going to be able to build the temple. He told, gave him a theological reason. At the end of the day, couldn't do it. 
couldn't build the temple. What did he do? We just read about it a moment ago. He did absolutely everything he could short of building the temple. He got all the iron and the bronze and the nails and the wood and the logs and the doors for the gates and the workers, all the, the alien residents in the land. He contracted with them. He, they signed contracts. They were standing there at the door. He had suppliers all ready to go at the drop of a hat. All Solomon had to do when he became king is say, go. And it was done. King David was a builder. I want to build things, Mary. I feel as if God is calling me to do it. The GI generation. Same mindset. Same one. If King David is the George Bailey of the Bible, the GIs are the King Davids of the modern world. They came of age during the Great Depression and World War II, right? Great Depression and World War II. That was the secular crisis that they came of age in. What did they do? Rallied an entire country around that great problem and then went on, in fact, to lead the entire world against the Philistines of that time and conquered them. And then what happened? The war ended post-war economic boom. So, they built things, cars, airplanes, the suburbs, all part of the generation, GI generation. Household appliances. They put together civic organizations all over the place. The Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, that was their baby. They believed in big government. They believed big government could solve any problem you had. Got a problem? Government can solve it. From all the programs of Roosevelt's New Deal to Social Security to the GI Bill, you name it, they thought it up. Big government is the answer. They created things. They built things. We can do it, they said. I want to build things, Mary. And I feel as if God is calling me to do it. The world we live in is still, in large part, the same society that the GIs put together. And we're benefiting from it. We're also struggling with it, right? Social Security, not what it once was. Not just the end-all, be-all answer of everything. So we struggle with it and we benefit from it. But it doesn't change the mindset of that generation. I want to build things, feel called to do it. The millennials, believe it or not, have the same mentality, same mindset. Millennials are still coming of age now, and they are coming of age in the current secular crisis that arguably began with the September 11th attack on the World Trade Center. I call that a precursor to the current secular crisis, but it's there, that was really honed and, and hit stride with the global financial crisis, and we're now in it. Why we say, what's wrong with the world? I don't know what's wrong with the world. What happened to the world, I know. Well, we're in a secular crisis, and if you put a magic eight ball to the thing, we'll probably be in it for another five to seven years, 
and then dealing with the results of all that. That's both scary and, you know, we need, we have walked through it with faith, right? But this, the millennial generation is coming of age during this current secular crisis. And they have the same mindset. They want to build things. They want to achieve things. They feel as if God is almost calling them to do it. Where the GIs built traditional institutions as we call them now, millennials are creating an infinite amount of online societies, right? Where the GIs believed that government could solve all of our problems, millennials tend to believe that big internet can solve all our problems. Got a problem? I've got an app for you. And there's a whole group of people are in this, this little world in here. And you just tap into it and it can solve all this stuff you're dealing with right here. You've got a little niche problem? Got it found an app out on the edge of the internet here. No one really knows about it. And here it is. It's great. There's all these people around. We've got chat rooms and forums and everything. So that's why millennials tend to distrust traditional institutions. Why? Because they didn't create them. They tend to trust institutions that they've created. Here's an example. The church. Traditional institution. The church struggles to convince millennials that they should be part of the church. And yet, millennials have no problem calling up a complete stranger on Uber and Lyft to drive them wherever they want to go. If the church says it or government says it, they may not believe it. But if Yelp says it, there may be some truth to that. They tend, and these are all generalities, but they tend to trust the wisdom of the crowd, even if they don't know them, over and above the traditional institutions that currently exist. That's what they're building. I want to build things, Mary. I feel as if God is calling me to do it. When the millennials entered the workplace, something's fascinating. They came into the workplace with the same exact mentality as the GIs did when they entered the workplace years ago. Came in with this huge assumption of, of entitlement. That we're entitled to this. We're just going to achieve. We're just... We're going to build things. We're going to achieve. We're going to do it. And boy, we're going to do it together. And this is how we're going to do it. And they don't understand why everyone else gets so frustrated with them coming in and wanting to do it. They get frustrated. They don't understand why, why no one else just will let them. We know how to do it. We're going to do it. It's going to be this online little chat room. It's going to do this or whatever. And all the rest of us don't understand why they have to be so pushy about it. Why do they feel this sense of entitlement? It's because... That's a character trait of their generation type. One of my friends, who is not a millennial, <laughs> has a number of millennials working for him in his business. And he gets frustrated all the time. And the other week, he was just frustrated to know, he said, I don't understand these people. They think they can just come in and take over the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Whether you like it or not, that's their gift to us. To put an example in a different light, 
and frustration. In the spring of this year, I attended the second of two orchestra concerts at my kids' middle school. My kids are right at the tail end of the millennials and right at the beginning of homeland generation, as they've called it. They're right at the end. And, and you know, go, we go to this concert, and it's just this massive, I mean, massive group, Murphy Middle School, just in it's just sixth graders and some seventh graders. It's huge. They would not fit up here. If we went all the way to the end, took out pews on each side, they might fit in this sanctuary. That's how big it is. So you're just going in going, good Lord, you know. And through the concert, the director, Dr., uh, Mr. Henson, stopped in the middle of the concert and steps up there, you know, and he says, well, I'd like to thank so forth and so on and recognize Mr. and Mrs. Flo and Flo and such and this and that and does the recognitions and then and then he stops in what really felt like a truly informal genuine moment and he looked out and he said I want to take a second and tell you about your kids in the middle of this year and he's emotional almost as he's saying it in the middle of this year some of the older students in this orchestra, with maybe seventh graders, came to me and said, Mr. Henson, we want, we want to put a little group of us, there's a group of us that wants to practice in addition to what we're doing. We just, we, and all we need to know from you is what we need to sign off, and, and that's it. That's, it's, and he said, I've never, ever had students ask me that. These are busy kids, and we practice every day. And here they're wanting this little group to practice some more. And I said to him, well, golly, I don't know. It's, you're not going to be able to practice after school. Uh, you're not going to be able to do that. It's going to have to be before school. So you're going to have to get here early. And, you know, you're going to have to give me a schedule and I, you're going to have to be organized. And, there, and I can't help you. I, don't have, I cannot add one more group to my deal. You're going to have, no problem, no problem, we're fine. Just, that's great. We'll, 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 they came back to him and told him the first day they wanted to get together. And he, got the, he made sure the room was okay. And, and then he's getting ready for the day. And he said, I walked in just to check on him. And I was shocked. There were 70 kids in there. 70. And they had seating charts and part assignments and a schedule for the whole rest of the year. And I walked in and they said, oh, Mr. Hen, here, here, schedule and we're good. Just go on, do whatever. We're fine. This, he said, these are the kids, the kind of people that I have the privilege of working with, and then he said, it gives me hope for the world. I want to build things, Mary. I want to accomplish things. And I feel as if God is calling me to do it. Your big takeaway today, listen to the voice of the remaining GIs and the millennials. When you see them, have some appreciation for God's unique and special gift to them that reminds us that we can believe in a can-do God. We can do this. We will see this through together because God has gifted each of you and the generations you're part of with something special 
a unique voice that the world needs to hear. And you're going to have to come back next Sunday to see more about what that's like. Amen.